Well, good morning, and welcome to Ritson Road Alliance Church. <laughs> For those of you who are watching online, we are a small group this morning, but uh, this is fabulous. Uh, and so whether you're joining us online or for those of you who are here in person, welcome. We're grateful for your presence, and uh, we're glad that you have decided to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour with us. And my name is Chris Corbin, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the church. And uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, I'm not sure about you, um, but I'm looking forward to some delicious turkey and some mashed potatoes and uh, maybe even some pumpkin pie. And, uh, but Thanksgiving really isn't about food, is it? Uh, it's about taking time to reflect on all the things in our lives that we can be grateful for and giving thanks to God. And so my hope and my prayer is that wherever you are this weekend or today, and uh, however you choose to celebrate, whether it's with family or friends or um, maybe even on your own, that you would take some time this weekend just to give thanks to God um, for all of the ways that he has blessed you. And I want to open our service this morning with a word of prayer. And uh, this, this prayer is based on Psalm 65. Um, and so I hope that you will join with me and, um, in praying as we begin this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? What mighty praise belongs to you, O God for your acts of love and your faithfulness towards us. In your mercy, you hear our prayers, you forgive our sins, and you provide for our needs. From one end of the earth to the other, you inspire worship and praise. Even nature celebrates your goodness. And we too offer our praise and thanksgiving for your mercy and your faithful love towards us. Receive our adoration, our confession, and our thanksgiving. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, make your presence known among us, that we may hear your word and know you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. That's an amazing truth that God listens to our prayers. Whether he answers them the way we want or not may not be always what we expect, but he listens and he does act and he is good and he is faithful. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our series on our vision and values um, here at Ritz and Road Alliance Church. And I wonder how many of you know what our vision yet? Could you say it? Could you recite it? Maybe not, but I'm going to refresh your memory. So at Ritz and Road Alliance Church, our vision is this. As a community of Christ followers, we are devoted to knowing God. We are committed to loving one another, and we are focused on reaching the lost. And so we recognize that in many ways, this is a very broad vision statement. It encompasses a lot of area where we can accomplish a lot of different things. And so, in order for us to be able to accomplish this vision, uh, we have, as a board and as a church, have identified nine different values that really help us to stay focused, um, that help us to stay um, committed to 
the mission and the place in the kingdom of God that we as Ritz and Road Alliance Church are called to. And so over the past few weeks, we've already begun to reflect and to consider some of those different values um, that are helping us to keep being devoted to knowing God. You know, the first one was that we are Christ-centered and spirit-empowered. And so just as Jesus taught his disciples to know him, to know Jesus Christ is to know the Father. And so we seek to know Jesus. We seek to know him both in our experience and our theology. So it's not just knowledge about who Jesus was. We want to experience him. We want to know him. We want to have a relationship with him. And we recognize we can't do this out of our own strength. And rather, it is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we are able to know Jesus. And if you were here last week, or maybe if you weren't here last week, and we had Lisa B., one of our international workers, share on what it looks like to be spirit-empowered. And if you haven't heard that sermon, I would invite you to check it out, either on our Facebook page or on our website. The second value that we have looked at is that we are biblically based. We are devoted to knowing God through the scriptures. We believe that the scriptures are our source of knowledge for who he is. They reveal the character, the nature of God. They reveal the words of Jesus to us. And so as a church, we will make the scriptures a priority in our teaching, in our preaching, and hopefully in every aspect of our daily lives. And so that's one of our challenges to you, is how are you engaging with God's word? This morning, we're going to be looking at our third value. And our third value is this, is that we will be passionately devoted to knowing God by being people of prayer. You know, it's not just that we will be people of prayer, everyone prays. Even atheists pray at times. But we will be people who are ever increasingly given to prayer. Meaning we will seek to grow deeper in our level and our understanding of prayer. We will seek to pray more and with greater fervency and with greater understanding of what it means to pray. And prayer is simply this. It is how we communicate in our relationship to God. You know, for something that we want to be growing in, it's quite simple, actually. Um, It's a conversation between us and between God. And I love how Eugene Eugene Peterson describes prayer. He says this. He says, prayer trains us in conversation with the God who seeks us out. The God who speaks, and we must answer. You know, it's not just that we are constantly talking to God. We are talking with a God who loves us and who seeks us and who wants us to engage with him. In Acts chapter 2, there's this beautiful picture of the early church. And we see the disciples who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They have spent all of this time with Jesus. He's died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. And they're gathered together. And we get this amazing picture of the church. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I want you to take a moment and just reflect on that. 
the disciples, the early church, the people who loved God and followed Jesus, who had been empowered by his spirit, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, and to prayer. This was not just something that happened from time to time. It was something that they, they poured their lives into, not just on their own, but with one another. And as they did that, they were amazed by the signs and the wonders that God did among them. I wonder, as you reflect on that, would you say that your prayer life matches those of the early disciples, those of the early church? Are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to, to seeing God at work? And I wonder if a lot of us, if we were to be honest, might actually say no. Now, you remember when I first shared about our visions and values, and maybe you don't remember this, but I shared that all of the, the values that we hold, uh, some of them are ones that we have been, have been foundational since the beginning of this church. Some of them are foundational to the Christian faith. And I said some of them are aspirational, meaning that we know that they're important. We know that things like prayer or the Bible are important to us, but sometimes we're just not there with them. We recognize that we need to grow in our understanding and our depth of experience and knowledge of them. And so as much as we may say they're important to us, maybe we don't fully live that. And I think that the prayer, being people of prayer, this idea of being ever increasingly given to prayer, growing in our levels of prayer, is one that as a church we really should aspire to. It's a place that we haven't quite attained, and yet there's always room for growth. And yet, as I say that, I really don't want to discourage you. Um, I want to actually encourage you, and, and here's why. Because even though we see the disciples in this early church, and they're devoted to, to one another in prayer, and they see all of these signs and wonders, and if you read through the book of Acts, you'll actually see the, the effects of the, the apostles' prayers and the disciples' prayers. We see them raising people from the dead. We see them praying over handkerchiefs and those handkerchiefs releasing God's prayer over people. And I think, wow, that is incredible. Who, I mean, really, I, I'm going to be honest, I would love to be able to pray over someone who's passed away and see them rise from the dead. I think I would be terrified, I would be blown away but how amazing would it be to see God at work through our prayers in, in such a dramatic fashion? And I mean, I'm not praying over every dead person, but um, to have that kind of level of expectancy in our prayer life, that as we pray to God, he would act, he would be faithful. And yet, this is not something that the disciples always had. The disciples didn't always have this miraculous prayer life. In fact, it's the one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them about. You see, the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. Peter wasn't there saying, Jesus, tell me how to preach when you give the Holy Spirit to us. How am I going to convince people to follow you? They didn't ask Jesus how to share their faith. They didn't ask him how to plant churches. They didn't ask him how to even serve in their churches. 
These were all byproducts. The one thing that they did ask him is they said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And so we actually find this encounter in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. And Luke says this. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And Jesus was often off praying. But it's this one day he's there. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And I, as I read through this, I wonder, I love to picture the stories of the Bible. To use the imagination that God has given me to put myself in that scenario. And I wonder if you could do that as well. Could you picture yourself in the disciples' shoes? Jesus is off praying on his own. And Jesus, as I said, often did this. He would often go up to the mountainside or he would find a quiet place and he would begin to pray to his father. And he's done this many times. And so the disciples, I'm sure, would often wonder, where did Jesus go? Where, where is he? And they would find him and he'd be praying. You know, on one time, Jesus actually invites some of his disciples to come and pray with him. But here he is, that he's off praying to his father, and one of them finally gets up the courage. And we don't know which disciple it was, but one of them finally gets up the courage and says, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? I mean, we see you praying all the time. Would you teach us to have that same kind of prayer life? And Jesus says, of course. And he proceeds to teach them. He gives them instructions. And what I love about Jesus' prayer here, the, the Lord's Prayer, is that we can actually use it in a variety of different ways. You know, the first way that we use it is, is as, a, as a model. It's a blueprint. It's something that we can follow. And so we can actually pray the Lord's Prayer. And I think Jesus wanted us to do that. You know, we simply can repeat the words that Jesus has spoken and the words that he prayed to the Father. And I love that these words, I mean, they're poetic, they're, they're easy to remember. It's a short, simple prayer. In fact, many of us have memorized it. And so we can recite it anywhere. We can pray it at any time and in any circumstance. And so as Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching them literally what to pray. Pray these words. This is how you're to pray to the Father. The second way that we can use this prayer is as a map. And I, and I mean, we don't use maps so as much anymore. We use our GPS. But when we're using a GPS, what it does is it, it gives us instructions on how to get to our destination. It gives us a route to follow. And so one of the ways that the Lord's Prayer guides us is that we can actually walk through it. Each step leads us to a different place, leads us on our destination. And we can take each phrase in the Lord's Prayer and we can use it to express the things that are on our hearts. And so each line can be expanded into like this greater conversation with God. And so it gives us guidance. It teaches us how to get there. And I want to show you what I mean by that. You know, if we're to break it down, Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father, 
Hallowed be your name. And you read right there, that, it's an invitation to worship. It's an invitation to recognize God and to acknowledge him for who he is. And we sometimes word this as adoration, and it's taking time to say, God, you are amazing. God, you are good, you're merciful, you're gracious. And so it leads us into this opportunity to worship him, just like we did this morning. 10,000 reasons for our hearts to find. There's an infinite ways in which we can worship and glorify God for who he is and what he's done. And then he goes on, he says, your kingdom come. And this is about intercession. This is about asking God for the needs of others. It's about wanting God's kingdom to come here on earth. It's wanting God's kingdom to impact the lives of those who are around us. It's asking for prayer requests for particular people and places and situations that we come into. You know, when we we have family members in the hospital, we're asking, God, your kingdom come. Your healing come. Your peace come. When we're praying for our family members, for whatever reason, maybe they don't know you, it's, Lord, that they would know you. That they would be saved into your kingdom. It's about interceding. It's about asking God for his kingdom to impact all of our needs. Of the- Hello. There we go. Now you can hear me. <clears throat> well, those of you who are here could hear me because you can. The joys of technology. But God is good. He knows our needs. And yet, this is what I love about when Jesus tells us to ask God for our daily bread. You know, even though God already knows everything that we need, he invites us to ask him, to pour out our requests before him. And for those of you online, I don't know where I cut out on you, but uh, hopefully you heard this. And um, just briefly, Jesus invites us to worship him. Hallowed be your name. He wants us to acknowledge who God is. He invites us to pray your kingdom come as intercession for those around us, for the needs of others. Praying for the requests of particular people, places, or situation. He invites us to to pray, give us each day our daily bread, petitioning God for the needs, our own needs, very practical needs. And then he leads us into this where he says, pray, forgive us our sins, for we have also forgiven everyone against us. And Jesus is saying, this should lead you into a time of repentance, a time of confession, acknowledging the ways that we have walked away from God, reflecting on the ways in which we have sinned or, or harmed others, and to turn from that, to turn back towards him. And remember, that, that's what repentance is. It's this idea of turning back into alignment with God. And as we're doing that, you know, it's not just that we're asking God to forgive us, but it, it's also important that we are forgiving others. This is a huge part of what it means to follow God and to pray to him. And so as we are praying forgiveness of our sins, we're recognizing that we need to be led back into a place of communion and unity with God. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. And some versions or translations say, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is really all about spiritual warfare. 
This is about taking authority over our lives through the power that's given to us through Jesus. Not being led into temptation, not being led towards sin, but standing on the promises of God and who he is. And so each line in the Lord's Prayer allows us to pour out our hearts to God. It allows us to acknowledge him and to come and just to to take each one of those lines and just to build upon it the things that are on our hearts and on our minds. And so it gives us this model. It gives us a template of how to acknowledge him, how to offer our requests to him, how to approach him, and of course, how to do battle. And there are all sorts of different ways that we could talk about prayer. You know, the scriptures, if we were just to read scripture about prayer, we would be here easily for more than an hour, just reading all of the different ways that we're taught to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray with joy and gratitude. But at, but at its core, I believe that prayer is really a conversation with God. It's acknowledging who he is. And this is why it's part of our values about knowing him. Because we want to know God. And the best way to know God is through a conversation with him. And I was struck by the simplicity of Jesus' words. As he opens this prayer, he says, Hallowed be your name. And so while it is this conversation about with God, it's acknowledging, it's spending time with him in conversation. It's also about this place of worship and acknowledging who he is. And we have to know him to be able to recognize who he is, don't we? To know what he has done, we, we have to have some kind of relationship with him. And it's interesting, C.S. Lewis once wrote this about the Lord's Prayer. And he says, in commanding us to glorify him, God is actually inviting us to enjoy him. And this is what we're talking about when we say we want to know God. It's, it's not just that information about him, but it's this deep, intimate, personal experience of him. To enjoy him. To spend time with him. The Book of Common Prayer also says this. It says, adoration is the lifting up of the heart and the mind to God. Asking nothing but to enjoy his presence. And so that means that we come to the Father, we come to God in prayer, sometimes not just to get anything, but rather to receive Him and to give Him our love and affection. You know, it's kind of like our children, and for those of you who have children, we love our kids. And when they come to us and they, they ask us for things all the time, even when we went out shopping with our kids yesterday, it was oh, we want that. Dad, can you buy us this? Can we get that? And I love to. I love to give my kids good gifts. But how much more do I love it when they just spend time in my presence? When they just cuddle up beside me on the couch and just sit there and rest. And so prayer is really this place of intimacy and presence. And this place of, coming to this place of intimacy and presence doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time and it takes effort. And so we just need to come constantly, repeatedly to spend time in God's presence, to pray to him, to pray with him, to talk with him. And it's just like a marriage, is it not? You know, when we 
you're getting married, before you get married, there's this whole dating courtship kind of phase, or even after you get married, when the real person starts to develop. You know, you, you don't get the honeymoon stage anymore. You get the fullness of your spouse. But the best marriages and the most intimate marriages are developed by time spent together. There's through shared experience and conversation. And the same is true of our relationship with God. Our knowledge of who he is, being passionately devoted to knowing him, is the direct result of our time spent with him in prayer and in conversation. And so there's certainly lots of ways that we can spend time with God. We talked about it through reading of the scriptures. That's one of the ways that we can know God that we can spend time with him is reading his word. But one of the other helpful ways that we can get to know God is through this intentional time of quiet prayer and reflection. Having conversations with him. Taking time out of our day to reflect. George Sweeting, who is the former president of Moody Bible Institute, says this. If we don't maintain a quiet time each day, It's not really because we're too busy. It's because we do not feel it is important enough. Quiet time is not just a helpful idea. It is absolutely necessary to spiritual growth. And I'll be honest with you, I'm challenged by those words. And I hope you are too. It's not because we're too busy. It's because we don't think it's important enough to spend time with the God that we claim to want to know. And I don't say that as a condemnation. I don't say that to to point fingers and say, you need to spend more time with God. I hope you long to spend more time with him. That he is important to you. And so two helpful tools for developing this quiet time, this, this time of prayer, include reflection and silence. There are certainly lots of ways, but these are two that I have particularly found helpful. And the first one really is it's quiet reflection. And some people may refer to this as meditation, but it's simply taking intentional time to stop and to pause and to enjoy God's presence. You know, you can do this anywhere. You can do it in church. You can do it as you're driving. You can do it in in a quiet space in your house or out on on a hike. But it's taking time to reflect and allow a space for our souls to gaze upon God. When was the last time you just took time to gaze upon God? You know, as we do that, and and this is what our prayer is, it's this conversation, it's this intimate time with him. And it's like, you know, there's all these, the new trend where the photographer... um, And a marriage will will take pictures of the groom as he sees his wife walking, or his future wife walking down the aisle. And just to see the expressions, and the the husband, the groom, is, is gazing upon his wife, his bride. And this is kind of the picture I get for us. Do we gaze upon God in that same way? With love and devotion. And I think as we begin to do that, as we begin to take time to just look upon God, to reflect upon him, it actually will result in a shift in our thinking and our mindset because as we begin to pray and to focus on the bigness, the glory, the majesty, and the wonder of God, 
it actually has this ability to recontextualize our entire lives, our situations, whatever they may be, whether we're in a great space or whether we're, we're in, you know, maybe we're depressed or, or ha- we're struggling. And yet, as we reflect on the majesty and the glory of God, it helps to shift our perspective and our thinking. Because it begins to take us out of our small little microscopic bubble to see the fullness and the grandeur that is the Lord. And as we begin to do that, I can't help but to think that our intimacy with God begins to grow. As we begin to just focus on the amazingness of who he is, you can't help but to fall deeply in love with him. The words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth actually encourage us to do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Think upon his glory. Think upon his majesty. And as we are doing so, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's this idea of focusing on him. And as we do, it begins to transform who we are even. Not just our our situation, but it actually begins to draw, draw us in. The second tool that I have found helpful for developing a quiet time and a, a prayer life is silence. And although this is similar to reflection, it's not the same. And because reflection is taking time to stop and to reflect and to, to think upon God and his presence, silence is actually allowing God room to speak. We can spend so much of our time just focusing on him and, and praising him and saying, hallowed be your name, great are you, God, you're, you're so glorious, you're so majestic. There's beauty in your creation. But we need to allow that time and that space for God to speak to us. Jesus gives us this example. Throughout Scripture, we find him going to these solitary places. He'd go up onto the mountain, and when he does that, he's actually challenging us, I think. He's challenging us to turn down the volume in our lives the things that are both internal and external, to find a place where we're able to hear and to focus on him, to be alone with God. You know, Mother Teresa once said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. And the author of the Psalms invites us into a similar place of silence before God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And again, in Psalm 37, 7, we read, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I don't know if we do that patiently so well. We sit and we want God to respond immediately. But I think if we were to begin by just setting aside five minutes each day, five minutes for silence of sitting before the Lord, allowing ourselves to be centered in God's presence and giving him time and room to speak, we would be amazed at the things that God wants to say to us. And I believe that God does speak. I am convinced of this. I don't believe that God is a far-off God that has nothing to do with us. He is not some removed deity that we just pray to and that's all we have in our prayer lives. 
God speaks to us. Throughout Scripture, we see this truth. We see God speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden. We see him speaking to the prophets. We see him speaking to the kings. We see him speaking through his angels. We see him speaking to the disciples and to Paul and to John. And Paul and John, they didn't know that they were writing the words of God. Yes, we hear God through the scriptures, but we can also hear God speak to us. God speaks, and it might be through an inclination, a feeling that, that you're supposed to do something or you're supposed to say something to someone. Sometimes he gives us pictures. Sometimes he gives us scripture. I think often God gives us scripture. He points us back to his spoken word. He reveals it to us and says, read this. This is my heart for you. And sometimes God speaks audibly. It's that, that voice that we hear. And we see this in the life of Paul. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. And sometimes he speaks to us through our dreams. But when we allow God the room and the space to speak, I believe he has words for us. Now maybe you're a little bit like me, because I'm going to be honest, silence before God can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming. Especially for those people who are doers and want to just get things done. Taking that time to just sit and reflect is difficult. And I think sometimes the reason why we have such a hard time with silence is because we're actually a little bit afraid and overwhelmed by the thoughts and the emotions that come rushing at us when we're quiet. It's the space where all of the internal voices and thoughts come flooding to the surface. I've met a few people in my life who's just, they have to be so busy and so focused all the time because they're just so terrified of the thoughts that they might have if they were to sit in silence. And yet, I think God is wanting us to sit in that silence. In fact, I think sometimes God is wanting uh, to, to speak through that uncomfortableness. I think he's inviting us to sit and not to run from the emptiness, not to run from the emotions that start to rise, but to allow him to actually speak into those things. I think that sometimes that's what God wants to move in us. He's wanting to bring those thoughts and those emotions into the light and to speak truth over them. So if you're sitting in your quiet time and, and you're thinking about the money and the bills that need to be paid and, and all of you know, the ways that you, maybe you're not making enough money or, or you know, your mortgage is coming due and you're not sure or maybe you want to buy a new house. And I think maybe God is asking you, will you lay those things down before me? Will you give those things to me? Or maybe it's thoughts about our children. Maybe our kids who are not saved and <clears throat> we begin to think about that. And, and what, about, what about them? Well, maybe Jesus is asking us to come and to lay them at his feet. To surrender our kids to him. Maybe it's the brokenness that we experience. The pain and the suffering that we've walked through. And, the, and those emotions are rising up to the surface. And I think God wants to bring healing to those areas if we would just let him. But the reality is, is that we have to allow God the space and the time to speak back. We can't be so focused on just 
speaking and talking at him that we never actually receive from him. Relationships are a two-way street. Now, I don't know what your prayer life is like. Maybe you have a phenomenal prayer life. Maybe you're thinking five minutes of silence each day, that's nothing. I do that like a couple times a day. And if God has been speaking through your prayer time, I would love to hear what God has been teaching you. And maybe God is actually asking you to share that with others. To lead people into a greater understanding and a greater passion and love for him. Or maybe prayer just seems overwhelming to you. And all of this, you're just listening to this. You're like, Chris, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know if I could sit for five minutes. And there's a lot of authors, and I know lots of people like to gather information. I'm one of those people. I like to buy books. I like to read about all of these things because sometimes it's easier to read about them than to actually do them. And we can read all sorts of amazing authors who have written amazing books on prayer. People like Andrew Murray and J.I. Packer, Dallas Willard, E.M. Bounds. There are so many authors out there who have written incredible books that can lead us to deeper places of prayer, deeper places of prayer. But one of the most profound pieces of wisdom I have ever heard on prayer is from a guy named Pete Gregg. And he's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement that, and I think it started in 1999, and it's, it's the new version of it. Obviously, prayer has been around for longer than since 99, but he began this movement, and his, his advice was simply this. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And so we start off by just, we got to keep prayer simple. We have to keep it real. And Jesus actually gives these same instructions explicitly to his followers. So we read the Lord's Prayer out of Luke chapter 11, but it's also found in Matthew chapter 6. And right before Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he says this. And I want to read it for you out of the, the message translation because I think it gives us just this perfect picture of what Jesus is wanting to say to us. It's Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, and he says, When you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical, product, theatrical production. All of these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role-play before God. I wonder, have we ever been accused of role-playing before God? Of pretending that we're someone we're not? Jesus says, just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will begin to shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They are full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And I love that. 
God knows our hearts. We don't have to try to impress him. In fact, he has already sent Jesus for us. He knows the brokenness of who we are. He knows your dirty secrets. He knows your struggles. He knows the places you've been victorious. He knows everything about you. And so you don't have to come to him pretending that you are someone that you are not. Come to him in all of who you are, very simply, very real. Don't try to impress him with your words. God doesn't fall for that. I think sometimes we do in the church. We want those people who pray those beautiful, eloquent prayers because they sound so amazing. And if that's how you pray normally, great, by all means. There are some people who are just very gifted in language. But you don't have to have fancy words or polished prayers. God wants the real you. And he is interested in what you have to say. He's interested in talking to you just the way you are. And I think that's a very comforting. I think that gives us a great place to start because no matter where we are, whether we are just new to the faith or even just exploring the faith, or whether we have been followers of Jesus our whole lives, God is interested in us just coming before him. And he longs to talk with us. And then when we don't know what to pray, pray anyways. Sometimes I think I come, I I know in my own life, there have been times where it's like, God, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray in this situation. God doesn't care. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. In fact, he even tells us that the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, groans on our behalf. He knows what we long to pray. So even when we don't know what to pray, come to him in prayer anyways. You know, in our house, we have this saying, there's only two times that you should worship. Worship when you feel like it and worship when you don't. And I think the same is true of prayer. We come to him when we, when we feel like it and we come to him when we don't. We just come before God. We acknowledge him. We sit in his presence. We hear from him and we speak back to him. And we come to a place where we truly begin to know the Father, the God who loves us. And in doing so, I think it stirs in us this deeper desire to know him even greater. Well, this morning, I couldn't just talk about prayer and not actually have time for us to pray. And so we're going to do that. We're going to pray this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to get up and stand up and pray or to pray out loud or anything like that. In fact, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to to get comfortable. I want you to just sit quietly as you have been. For those of you at home with your kids, maybe you want to get them to do this as well with you. Or wherever you are, find a quiet spot. And as you're doing that, I want you to take a moment just to still your heart and your mind. Invite the Holy Spirit to quiet your thoughts and to focus your mind fully on Jesus. And so I want to give you just a moment to do that. Take some time.
Invite the Holy Spirit to quiet your thoughts and allow you to focus on God. As you sit quietly, I want you to begin to reflect on these words from Psalm 19. David says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises on one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so I invite you just to take a few moments to reflect on the grandeur and the majesty of God, to declare how good and awesome he is, to reflect in your own words. And then I would invite you to sit in silence for just a moment and allow God to speak over you. I think it brought incredible joy to Jesus when the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. I think Jesus was overwhelmed that his followers would want to know his father as he did. And Jesus knew the importance of spending time with God, of coming to a place where he knew him intimately and personally. And Jesus longs for us to have the same kind of relationship with God the Father. 
one of intimacy and mutual conversation. My hope and my challenge for you this week is that you would take some time, not just today, but every day, to come before the Father God who loves you, to worship him, to to give out your adoration and your praise and, and to ask him, intercede, absolutely. Ask him for the things that you need, but then to just sit in his presence and allow him to pour out his heart for you because he is a God who is worthy to be praised. He is a God who is worthy to be known and he is a God who loves us. So may you know God the Father intimately this week. And may you be blessed. Amen. Thank you.